Our scripture this morning is found in 1 Kings chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there and follow along with me, and they'll also be here on the screen behind me. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You'll drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. The word of the Lord. So good to be here today. Uh, It's a beautiful day outside, and God has uh, allowed us the privilege to come together to worship and to open his word, and we want to do that now. Jeopardy question, if you'd humor me for a moment. Lived in the 20th century, and he made a famous uh, speech from the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. And he had a dream. Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And the famous of all speeches uh, was the one from Lincoln Memorial uh, when he painted a picture of a world without prejudice, hatred, or racism. He entered into a tough zone. And uh, if you've read much about this man, you know it was not easy. And eventually it cost him his life. I want to take you to a piece of scripture uh, this morning uh, in the Old Testament and remind you of a man who was a uh, difference maker in his day. He was a man that God could use to intercept a culture and a society that was off the rails. He entered into a tough zone that uh, was incredibly tough. It was a very challenging assignment that God gave to him. Challenging when God gives us tough assignments. We're in 1 Kings chapter 16. When a lot of power is invested in any one person, there's the temptation that that power will go south, that it will go off the rails, and the leader will become corrupt. Uh, As someone has said, it's hard to carry a full cup. It's a very difficult task to carry a full cup. Uh, This week in the news, Dominique Strauss-Kane, Khan, former chair of the uh, International Monetary Fund, Accused of uh, trying to uh, rape a New York hotel maid. He himself is a man of uh, considerable financial means, as is his wife. And uh, this is going to be a huge trial because he has such tremendous wealth and influence. If you read First and Second uh, Kings, you'll discover that there are 20 kings that come on the scene in the northern kingdom alone. In the northern kingdom, every one of the kings is evil. Every one. 
no exception. Power went to their heads, their rule was corrupt, and the nation went off the tracks. First Kings chapter 16, verse 29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Azurah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, listen to this, <clears throat> the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. Not a very good biographical sketch of Ahab. Not a great legacy. It is not a good thing to provoke the Lord, your God. The nation of Israel was in a moral freefall. Most of the people had turned their backs on God, most especially King Ahab and his evil wife Jezebel. Now there's a reason that we're introduced to Jezebel. Ahab married Jezebel from the country of Sidon, otherwise known as Phoenicia. Ahab more or less puts Jezebel in charge of religion in the northern kingdom. The minister of religion for the northern kingdom. Not a good idea. And Jezebel, who is a Baal worshiper, a worshiper of false gods, adopts it as her agenda to destroy the worship of God in Israel and to replace God, Almighty God, with her God, Baal or Baal. As you read the story, you see that she tries to implement her policy of no tolerance for the God of Israel by systematically killing the prophets of the Lord. Typically, prophets had a sort of uh, diplomatic immunity. Not so with the prophets of Israel. She's having them murdered one by one in cold blood. The culture begins to crater. It was neither comfortable nor convenient to take a step, stand for God in their generation. It never is. It never is. Into this tough arena steps a man whose name is Elijah. And the call of God is on his life. The call of God is on his life. Can't do anything about that. I just want you to look at his life this morning. And if there is anything that is transferable to our context today, all these centuries later, pray that we could just extract something of it and take it from there and move it to here so that we, when we walk out the doors this morning, we could say, I could take that. I could use that. What are the qualities of a difference maker? I have to assume that all of us want to be difference makers in, in, our, in our lifetime. I mean, if we're going to take the trouble to live this life, how could we not want anything else but to make a difference in somebody else's life? That's really what it's about. 
to make a difference somewhere, to leave a legacy of love and care and being a difference maker. What is more fulfilling, what is more fun, what is more adventuresome, what is more joyful than being used of God to make a difference? And the joy is that God has created us with such diversity. And he's placed different passions in our hearts. And he's put us into different people context. And he's equipped us in different ways to make a difference. Friday night, we had the fun time of being with our youth. And uh, we have a great group of youth and uh, wonderful youth leaders. And so we're out at the West Edmonton Mall. And it's a missing persons night. And the youth have to find some of us adults who are scattered all through the mall. And what a challenge that is. And finally, they, they find us after an hour and a half, and then we go back to Ross and Carolyn Seminux, and we have a wonderful lesson on finding your spiritual gift, the great transfer of thought. And it was so wonderful to see the diversity, even within that small group of uh, 35 people or so, and and to see the differences in the giftings and how God has poured out his gift and invested in us in unique ways. You are uniquely made and uniquely placed. And no one can make a difference quite like you in the setting that he's placed you. Isn't that neat? It's really true. No one can make a difference quite like you in the setting that he's placed you. So I'm real open to learn and uh, uh, to about the qualities that are in the lives of leaders like Elijah. What are some of the defining qualities uh, in his life that enabled him to make a difference? And let me give you three. One, listener. You won't know what to do unless you listen. You won't know what to do. You won't have wisdom to do what you need to do unless you listen first. Elijah moves on to Israel's scene. He enters King Ahab's life in the first verse of chapter 17. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba and Gilead. Now, there's a handle. Said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Except at my word. Now, that's bold. That's very bold to the king. Where'd you get that, Elijah? From God. From listening. Elijah is giving notice that Israel can't continue in its moral freefall without consequences. Those consequences will be a huge drought that will come across the land. Now, none of us have the power to say something like that in and of our own volition. You just can't make it up. It doesn't mean a thing if you say, it's not going to rain for a few years. It doesn't mean a thing. We don't have that power. Obviously, Elijah had gotten that message from God. But we can't say it unless we got it from God. We can't just say judgment day is coming, May 21. It's the time of the rapture. It's not ours to say. Jesus already told us. No one knows that. No one knows that. No rain in the forecast until I say so. And don't we all know that when we allow our hearts to be turned from God, there is a drought 
that comes to our hearts. It's true in the spiritual sense as well. There's a desert that comes to our hearts when we walk in the direction of self and sin. And the message of God to us is, you've put yourself in a very dry place where there is no rain. It's dry. It's unfulfilling. I don't want it to be that way, God says. But when some of those desert times come, they are the consequence of removing ourselves from God. And there's a dryness of the soul, but it could be different. At this point in Elijah's life, he hears the message from God. And he has to get in and get out. This is a hit and run operation. Deliver the message like a good prophet. Get out of town. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here. Turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. I love that last line so much. I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. You feeling insecure? You're wondering, how in the world is the Lord ever going to provide in my situation? Listen to God. Open your heart to Him, and He will send you the ravens. Really, watch for the ravens in your life. They could be family. They could be friends. They could be some unique set of circumstances that comes to visit you. They could be the nuggets of the word of God. Watch for the ravens. Watch for God. He's on your team to provide for you. He has you on assignment. But he's also watching out for you. He has you on assignment, but he's also watching out for you. And the ravens will feed you. And the ravens will keep you. And the ravens will sustain you. Chapter 17 is a rich time of Elijah hearing from God. Being alone in the ravine. Being fed by the ravens. And God is preparing him for next steps. Well, you know, you think of it. Jesus had some time in the wilderness too, didn't he? Before he was prepared for his ministry. And the Apostle Paul, after the Damascus Road experience, he had some time in a desert before he was prepared to to commence his ministry. It's tempting to never stop long enough to listen. Given our propensity to be active, it is a discipline to rest and to wait. It is a discipline to listen. But it is good because we travel further and we're more effective when we have listened. One of the most important qualities, I believe, of a church in 2011 is that it's a compelling church. I don't know if you've read the article, uh, if you get Christianity Today. Last week was an article by John Ortberg about the caution of being an entertaining church. Now, I, I know we talk often about how a church needs to be cool and and needs to be adjustable and, and comfortable and adaptable for everyone who's part of it. And when you think of it, that's, that's very true. There's a lot of very good points to be said about that. We, we need to be relevant. We need to be comfortable. We need to be hospitable and friendly. But what about the word compelling? Our desire is that 
the message we give to our community will be compelling. We pray that in, in the morning worship service as we come together that, that, that there will be a sense of that it is compelling that as we meet in small groups that it is compelling that we have one purpose and that is to grow to be more like Christ and to love him more and to serve him with all that we have and to open our sails to the winds of the spirit so that he moves us along and and we can do it in such diverse ways but our bottom line is compelling and clear as a church as individuals the most common observation about Jesus' teaching was is he teaches as one who has authority. Did not our hearts burn within us as we locked, walked along with him on the way? Anyone who has been gripped by the word of God and who is overflowing with Holy Spirit conviction will be compelling in their corner of the vineyard. So, so the first quality is to be a listener, a listener of God, so we can be one who speaks compellingly into the world in which we live. The second quality, which also comes from God, is courage. And I see a continuum between courage and wisdom that deserves careful attention. Sometimes we can be courageous, but wisdom says, don't die on that hill. If you're going to die on a hill, don't die on that one. Don't make that the issue that will blow up the bridge that you have to people. Well, there came a time in Elijah's life when it was the right moment to take the hill. Chapter 18 is a famous story in the Old Testament. We learned it when we were in Sunday school, some of us. The courage of one man to confront a king and the people of the land. And the confrontation between King Ahab and Elijah comes in verse 17. When they meet again, perhaps after some years, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to them, to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Note the retort of Elijah. I have not made trouble for Israel. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Listen to the direction that Elijah sets in verse 19. It's showtime. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Azurah who eat at Jezebel's table. Guess who's taking the hill, confronting a tough arena? I'm suddenly impressed with the one who takes charge of the situation, and it's not the king, it's the prophet. Elijah the prophet is giving the orders. He has no office, he has no crown, he has no throne, yet he gives the direction and the king follows his orders. Now imagine the scene. Ahab sends the word throughout all Israel. The whole country is gathered on one side, stands 450 prophets of Baal and 400 of the prophets of Azure, 850 prophets of idols. And on that side also stands the king and all the power of his government and all the armies. And on the other side is one man, one solitary prophet who emerges from years of hiding to confront a king and confront a country single-handedly. But not quite. This man is not alone, although it appears that he is. He's not alone and he knows he's not alone. This is the man fed by the ravens. This is the man whose God is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Elijah. 
in an act of unbelievable courage, takes on the whole nation. Look at verse 21, where all the people are assembled and the prophets and the king stand on the Mount Carmel and Elijah went before the people. Incredible courage. Can you see yourself in the role? Oh, my. He calls them out. He calls them out. He throws down the gauntlet and he challenges them. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. The word waver means to hobble or to limp. Elijah asked them, are you going to keep limping through life? Are you going to really walk? Are you just going to keep hobbling and limping through life? Or are you going to really walk? Are you going to hobble along? Or are you going to take off the shackles and run with freedom? You see, they had been lulled to sleep, thinking they could go in both directions. They were limping. So whether they still believe in God, the reality is that they have placed him on the shelf. If they need him one day, I guess they'll take him off the shelf. Otherwise, any old bail will do. And I think it's important that we stop for a moment. Anyone have any of those 21st century bails in your life? that you're wrestling with? We all do. A bail is anything that tempts you away from full devotion to God. It could be a habit that started somewhat innocently, but now, if you were honest, it's turned into something that's addictive. Something that you keep shrouded in secrecy. It's embarrassing. Might be a relationship that's not healthy for you. Could be a lifestyle that is actually selfish. There's a lot of me in the lifestyle. There's a lot of me in the lifestyle. Serve me. I deserve it. I want the best. I need the best. It's, it's really entitlement. You know, your, your bail could be the pleasure of holding on to a grudge. Now, doesn't that sound silly? Holding on to a grudge doesn't seem like a pleasure, but there's a certain satisfaction of not letting go of an old wound, of an injured relationship. Our bail could be pride or power. Maybe it's just a sense that nobody tells me what to do. I'm sorry. I'm in charge of my life. And I've got my hand on the steering wheel and no one will knock me off of it. And maybe somewhere we say, I can hold on to this little bail. Come on. And I can embrace God as well. But you know what? It doesn't work. And that's why Elijah said, No. How long will you hobble? Hobble this way. No one can serve two masters. That's what Jesus said. No one can serve two masters. You can't experience the best of God and be committed to some other Baal. The peace and joy of God doesn't flow into that. You have to choose. You know, every time I drive through the Crow's Nest Pass, I think a lot about the Frank Slide. The highway is built through those massive rocks that came down the mountain. And as I read the history, I learned that they had 
many warnings through the years of the pending landslide that eventually destroyed a whole town, but they ignored those warnings. And then at midnight, one night, the mountain came down. Sometimes we have to make decisions in life as to how close we, we, we will live to the danger in our lives. Where are we weak? Where are we prone to fall? How can I protect myself? Don't position yourself too close to the mountain that could fall on you. First Kings chapter 18 is, is quite a passage. I'll skip all the detail only to say, this great confrontation ends in a powerful victory for Elijah. This is a clear demonstration to Elijah's generation, to the culture, to the people that God sits on the throne, that he is sovereign, he alone is powerful, and that the bales that we hold so precious in our lives are absolutely meaningless. They don't do anything for us, and, and they are vulnerable, they are weak, they have no power. And in the end, and in the end, only God will come through. So some important qualities, courage, the courage that comes from God to be his man or woman in the day in which we live, to be a good listener. Now, I want to show you another quality of Elijah. I didn't know what to call it. So for lack of a better word, I'll just say human, human. In a sense, I'm glad we can include this word. Otherwise, we tend to think that these men and women of old are out of our league, that they're a whole different caliber of people. And the answer to that is probably not. Probably not. They have feet of clay just as we do. Do you know what makes Elijah real human? Real fast. Jezebel. She scares the daylights out of Elijah. Even after this phenomenal experience on Mount Carmel, one would think the momentum has shifted. Elijah, you hit a home run, you knocked it out of the park, things are going this way, you'll, you'll take it. You can take it from here. But I take you to 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. What did that do for Elijah? I mean, that put the fear into Elijah. And verse 3 tells you how he dealt with it. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. The scriptures gives us a little more insight. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than that of my ancestors. You know, Elijah went into a depression after this amazing mountaintop experience. You can read all the details. He fell asleep under the broom tree. He was exhausted mentally, physically, spiritually. And, uh, and he went into a depression. And he was down. And I mean, he was down low. And you know what he needed to get to get some perspective? He needed a good sleep. He needed a good sleep. Twelve hours, 14 hours. Sometimes it's no more complicated than that. We're exhausted physically, and I know that myself. When I'm exhausted physically, everything else is out of shape. The situations of my life seem overwhelming. I need to rest. 
I need to have my confidence restored with physical rest. God treats Elijah the way you treat a cranky two-year-old. Here's some Cheerios, some juice, have a snack, and take a nap. We live in a high-pressure society with demands coming at us from every angle. Just because we're believers doesn't mean we're subject to having, not having physical and emotional needs like anybody else. Crawl in bed, get 12 hours of sleep, and you come out a different person. Sometimes it's better not to make any decisions. I mean, all the time it's better not to make any decisions when you're exhausted mentally, physically, spiritually. And there's something else. No one stays on the mountaintop forever. No one. will not live there forever. Elijah had a great run. What an amazing experience for him. But then Blue Monday hit. Sunday's always a great day with you folks. But there's a reason Monday is tough. Because the adrenaline stops flowing and we come down. I I always say I resign every Monday. Then I sign up again on Tuesday because I'm ready to go. And I've learned through the years, that's just adrenaline. Don't pay any attention to it. If you have a blue Monday, hang on, Tuesday's coming. My slogan is, it's Monday, but Tuesday's coming. We'll have those spiritual highs and lows all our lives. There'll be mountaintops and valleys and mountaintops and valleys, and that's how life is. We have to get used to that. We're growing through life, making progress. But within that that, that growth are the peaks and valleys of life. If you look at what happened to, to Elijah, he ran from Jezebel. He ran from his responsibility to his own people. He went into a depression. He fell asleep under the broom tree. He got up after being fed and he kept running. God's grace was all over this man. He didn't stop running until he was, he ran right out of the country. Doesn't that remind you of Forrest Gump? (laughs) Just kept running, just kept running and safe from Jezebel. And, and then suddenly Forrest Gump just stops. He just kind of like, he's He's finished. Oh yeah, I'm going home. And he turns around and he goes back home again. He's run far enough and he's gone home. When Elijah runs to the mountain of Horeb and God says, what are you doing here? Elijah says, I've been very jealous. The people of Israel have been off the rails and I've been trying to get them back and I'm the only one left and they're after me now. When God says, Go stand on the mountain. Let me show you something. And he brings a great wind. And he's not in the wind. And he brings a great earthquake and fire. And he's not in the earthquake and fire. And then he comes in the form of a whisper. And God is in the whisper. God is in the whisper. And God says again, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And Elijah goes through the complaint list one time, more time, and he, he's still concerned about himself. He's still concerned about he's the only one around that's doing anything. And you wonder, what is God going to do with him now? Is God going to give him the heave-ho? Not at all. Not at all. And we just say thank you, Lord, because we've all been there. 
feeling sorry for ourselves. I'm the only one who cares about this ministry. I know that's not true. I'm the only one who cares about my family. I know that's not true. I have to do everything. That's true. No, no, that's not true. (laughs) You know, you know, you know, you know. We need to be reminded of what the Lord says. Go back the way you came. That's enough. Go back the way you came. I still have a job for you to do. Oh, and by the way, Elijah, you aren't the only one. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Oh, we can be so grateful that when we hit bottom, that God doesn't give up on us. God still wants you. God still needs you. And God is still going to use you. What a gracious God. What a wonderful God who cares for us in all of our humanness. Three important qualities of Elijah and more that we could add, but enough for this setting. A listener, a man of courage, and truly a human being. Truly a human being. Would you stand with me, please? And just before we pray, let me say God has called you to be a difference maker. Perhaps like Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., He's given you a dream. I believe he does that. Gives us a dream. The the world needs desperately what you bring to the table. And there's great value in processing that by being a good listener. By being a man or woman of courage as you walk with God. As you hear the voice of God. And uh, he will provide the power. And there will be ups and downs. And sometimes we'll get in his way. And he'll say to us, what are you doing here? And then he'll remind us that he still wants us and he still loves us and he still needs us.